What's up, y'all? So, how many of y'all, by show of hands, even though I can't see any of you right now, how many of y'all have enjoyed the World Religion Series? Y'all have enjoyed it? I'm going to be straight up with you guys. I've actually learned, like, just as much as you guys during it. I, I knew a little bit about Catholicism. That's one I studied a lot in college, but knew hardly anything about Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses. I knew nothing other than the fact that a couple came to my door one time. Uh, like, Buddhism, Hinduism, knew a little bit, but I've literally, every week, I've gone and I've sat in that back corner back there, and I've tried to pay attention with you guys and learn just as much because this is a good thing. I love doing this. I love to examine things. It's in my personality to really just kind of dive in and just try to look up all the information I can possibly find. That's just who I am. Uh, if I've ever had an argument about something, that typically means I've studied it because I don't like to argue and lose, so I go above and beyond trying to win things. So Judaism, the, this, this religion, it's my favorite. Out of all of this, it's my favorite. Okay, I love this one so much because it actually builds into our faith, okay? Judaism is the Jewish religion that builds into Christianity. It's almost like, how many of y'all have seen Star Wars? Okay, did y'all like it? Yeah. I've seen it three times, I'm ashamed. But I, uh, I love that movie. And when you get to the end of it, you've had this huge buildup, you've had this huge story and you're excited, you're getting to the end. Ray's climbing the stairs. She gets to the top of the mountain, pulls out the lightsaber. Luke turns around, does that weird thing with his hands where he's like, and like pops the pose. And they stopped the movie. Like they stopped it right there. You're like, he didn't say anything. You have this entire buildup. We're gonna find Luke, we're gonna find Luke. They find him, it's over. That's kind of how the Jewish religion is. Like, I'm not even gonna lie. You have this giant buildup. You have the entire Old Testament of our Bible, the whole back half of it. And it's build up, build up, build up. You're looking for this one person. And then you get to Malachi. Malachi's like, hey, this guy's coming. This guy's gonna be here. Make sure you're obeying the Ten Commandments. Make sure you're obeying the law. Bye, guys. That's it. <laughs> and it stops. And you don't hear anything for 400 years. So. That's the cool part about this. That's why it's so important to kind of study this so you can kind of see where people could have gone off, where people could have got misled a little bit. And so I'm gonna give you guys a few quick facts, okay? So get your, uh, your card and your pens. These are some basics that you need to know about the Jewish religion, basics that you have to know, okay? When did it start? It started in about 2000 BC, okay? This is one, nine, like 60, 19, 50, somewhere in there. Um, it started about 2000 BC. BC stands for before Christ, okay? Our whole history system is built around Jesus. It's kind of awesome. So it was started by a guy named Abraham, okay? Abraham is living randomly in a city in, uh, called Haran, and he meets God. He meets God, and God's like, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Abraham's like, how? I don't have any kids. He's like, I don't care. You're going to have some. He's like, I'm 90. God's like, I don't care. I'm going to give you some anyway. And like, you have this story of slowly how God starts to turn this one man into a great nation. It slowly builds. And he goes from having one son to his son having two sons. Oh, this multiplication there. And then 
those two sons had a boatload of sons. The one son had like 12 sons and they slowly just multiply. And you have this awesome story where they end up in Egypt where Joseph uh, becomes second in command of all of Egypt and the entire people there. And for about 400 years, they live in Egypt and multiply. Like they just straight up multiply. There's a million people in it by the time Exodus picks up. A million Hebrews. And during this time period, a new family became in charge of Egypt. Like the old pharaohs got eliminated and they got a new set in there and they didn't know Joseph so they enslaved them and they get freed and they get a hold of their country and David comes, Solomon comes. You have this huge, rich history of all these things and it's epic. And Moses writes all this down. And the second thing you guys need to write down, this is the most important part of the whole thing, okay? The scripture for the Jewish people is the Christian Old Testament, okay? And even bigger than that, you have all the different books in the Old Testament, but there are five that are more important than any other, okay? You have the Torah, okay? It's the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Torah is the law, okay? It's also known as the Pentateuch. That is held above everything. The law is central to the Jewish religion. It is how they know what is right and wrong, how they can have a relationship with God. Without the Torah, there is no Jewish faith. That is the beginning of it. And it's held in extreme high esteem because the person that wrote the Torah was actually Moses. Moses is the one that wrote those first five books of the Bible, except for like one sentence at the back end of Deuteronomy that says, then Moses died. I don't think he wrote that part, but everything else Moses wrote down. So. There's some other books that are super important in there though, okay? First one is the Talmud. The Talmud, T-A-L-M-U-D, the Talmud. What it is, it's a group of teachings by the rabbis during that time period, okay? Rabbis are like their pastors, their scholars, their theologians. These guys were big, it was kinda like the Pharisees, okay? The Pharisees typically were rabbis. And they would have big teachings that would get recorded. The Jews do not think these are not scriptures. Okay, they do not believe that these are scriptures. They believe that they're wise. It's like a textbook. You guys get what I'm saying there? They don't believe it's scripture, but they love it. It's almost like Harry Potter. They love Harry Potter, like that kind of thing. Okay, so it's a huge book. Another set is the Apocrypha. I don't have it up on the screen, but the Apocrypha is something the Catholic Church actually added um, back in like 1500s, 1600s, somewhere in there, to kind of make indulgences, different things legal, but the Jews are like, that's not scripture. What are you talking about? God didn't write those. People wrote those. So those are the important books, okay? Super important. You have big figures like David, Solomon, all these different guys. But everything revolves around the Torah and around the law. That's where everything is centralized. Another thing that's super important though, thing that's super important to the Jewish faith is the holidays. The holidays are super important. The first one is a day called Yom Kippur, okay? Yom Kippur, that one should be on the screen for spelling, okay? It's known as the Day of Atonement. This is the day where the Jewish people would bring their sacrifices and wipe their sins clean, okay? Without Yom Kippur, their relationship with God is shattered. So this is a very important day for them. You also have Rosh Hashanah. I always have trouble with that one. I want to say Rosh Hashanah or something. It's Rosh Hashanah. Uh, shoot. Uh, Rosh Hashanah. There we go. It's the Jewish New Year. That one's a very big one as well. Then you have Hanukkah. 
Okay, the festival of lights. They like to add that like popcorn sound in the back of your throat. Hanukkah, there we go. So that's the festival of lights. That one's actually very interesting. But the one that we're going to talk about today, the one that means the most probably to our Christian faith is Passover. Passover is huge. And kind of what I've done here, okay, I'm going to move my table to the side so you can kind of see the table here. I've legit made a Passover table. Like, I burnt myself making matzah last night. It was awesome. I, you have to heat the oven to 475 degrees, and I didn't put enough wrapping on my hand when I grabbed the pan, and it, like, scorched through the towel and burnt my fingers. So, yeah! But, yeah. So, I made a bunch of stuff, but I'm going to give you guys a little bit of the history behind it, okay? This is a story that most kids learn, like, early in Bible, uh, Bible school, but you might not know the whole story, Okay? We were talking about Joseph and how he brought everybody to Egypt, okay? They were living there for a long amount of years. The new pharaohs put them in slavery, and it was was rough. It was a very, very rough time period, and the people finally turned back to God and started calling out to God, calling out to God, calling out to God, and this big, uh, big dude on campus named Moses comes out of the woodwork. Okay? Moses had been adopted by the daughter of Pharaoh. Daughter of Pharaoh is an actual historical figure. Um, she was a woman, so they couldn't call her Pharaoh, but she ruled the entire land of Egypt during this time period. She was kind of a big deal. And Moses was raised by her. Moses is in line with his brother, who would eventually become Pharaoh, to possibly rule over all of Egypt. But the entire time, Moses knows I'm not of these people. My people are being beaten. My people are being whipped. My people are being enslaved. So he gets defensive, gets in a fight, gets cast out, goes into hiding. And there's where he meets God. And this is huge. This is something you do want to write down, okay? He meets God, and this is the first time in human history that God's name is known. This is the first time anybody learns God's name, and it was Yahweh. Yahweh, the Jewish pronunciation was Yaffa, okay? Um, Nobody likes to write this. If you look in your scriptures, you can actually see where they wrote it. Anytime you see the word Lord written in all capital letters, they've written the word Yahweh in the Hebrew text. And they didn't like to write it because they never felt worthy enough. Because once you truly had an encounter with God, you saw how big he was, how powerful he was, how great he was. You didn't feel worthy to have that relationship. So you didn't even want to say his name. So one of the things they would do is they'd take the vowels out. And you'd have the Y-H-W-H. And another thing that they would do is they changed it. They added new vowels. And in the Hebrew language, they made the word Jehovah which is where you get the names Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, like all these different names for God that talk about the things that he do, like Jehovah Rapha is the God who heals, Jehovah Jireh is like God Almighty, all these different names came from this moment because Moses asked God, who are you? And you have one of the closest relationships with God that anybody has ever had in their entire life. And God sends Moses back to save his people. And you guys kind of know the story. You have the plagues that start happening. uh, Pharaoh refuses to soften his heart, refuses to turn back to God, refuses to stop. And the plagues get worse and worse. You had the water turned to blood. You had locusts. You had frogs. You had boils. You had the sun literally just went peace and just took off. Like in the middle of the day, just everything went dark. 
Like, God's like, I control the sun, let my people go. And he's like, no, and he refuses to. You kind of have this moment happening over and over and over again. And eventually God's like, all right, I gave you nine chances. Here comes the big daddy, okay? And he comes to this moment and he looks at Jewish people, tells Moses to bring a lamb into the middle of the Jewish population, okay? They sacrifice it and they have its blood in this giant bowl thing and they take a, like a leafy plant that probably looks similar to this, hint, hint. Um, but they take this and if you took that plant and spread the blood over your doorframe, the angel would pass over, pass over, would pass over your home and spare the firstborn child in your house. The Egyptians didn't know about this and God wiped out the firstborn son of every Egyptian household in the entire country. And then that was the moment where Pharaoh's like, oh, okay, he, I probably should let these people go. And they start to go. And because God chose to spare them in that moment, they celebrate this. This is Independence Day for the Jewish people. Passover is their July 4th. It's the day that they were freed from the tyranny of the Egyptian people. They were finally able to leave and go to their own country and start their own government and everything. Everything that happens in Judaism happened because of Passover. Everything stems out of that. So it's, it's a great holiday. It's a happy holiday. Like, as morbid as some of the things sound, it's a very, very happy holiday. So when we look at these things, they're crucial. So I'm going I'm to let you guys see a few of them, okay? Passover in and of itself is the feast of the unleavened bread, okay? Here's some fake matzah, okay? It's unleavened. The symbology, uh, like the symbolism behind this is if you look at this bread, it's very flat, right? That means you couldn't put yeast in it. What would happen is while these people were running away from the Egyptians, they were not, they didn't have enough time to let their bread bake. They couldn't put yeast in it to let it rise. So instead, they would mix water and flour and just let a rock bake it. They'd spread it out real thin so it'd heat up real quick and you had quick sustenance. That is why mine looks like this. Instead of like all industrial and square, mine is very rough and very salty because they told me to anoint it with oil, which I thought meant dump a boatload of oil on it and dump salt all over it. So mine tastes amazing, by the way. But <laughs> I also burnt myself doing it. But like... That is the unleavened bread portion. And everything in the feast kind of stems around that. When you start the feast off, you break one in half and put it in a bag, and the kids have to go find it afterwards so they can get dessert. Like, it's awesome. Like, there's little fun parts in. There's also a part when they're getting to the Egyptian part where they're, like, enslaved. All the kids get, like, wild onions, and they get to beat their parents with it. It's kind of funny. But you have all these different moments. And the first element out of this entire table it's parsley. If you look at it, it's green, looks healthy. Probably isn't because it's been out all day, but it, uh, it symbolizes life. The parsley symbolizes life. It symbolizes the springtime, that something good is on the horizon. And when the people of Israel uh, got to Egypt, that's what they thought. They had something good. It was great. But then they got enslaved. So the salt water came. So what they would do, the salt water symbolized the tears of the people when they were enslaved. 
Salt water, that's what it symbolized. It symbolized the tears of the nation. So you would take the parsley and dip it into the salt water because something good had been tarnished and messed up. And you would take this and the whole festival is looking back at that moment, trying to associate with the people back then so you can look forward. And then my favorite part of the festival happened. Okay, I'm gonna have James come up real quick. This is the fun part. He doesn't know what he's actually going to eat right now, but it's going to be awesome, okay? So you had these two elements of the feast. I've made one of them, and the other one is uh, different. I'm going to ask you to eat this in front of everybody. You've got this. (laughs) His eyes are starting to water. This is great. There it went. Yes. Okay. This is raw horseradish. Raw horseradish. Okay. There, there he goes. There he goes. I've got one more. This one's a little better, I promise. But the raw horseradish, what it symbolized was in the middle of that moment. Okay. And that, <laughs> it's good though, isn't it? The other part is. But the horseradish symbolized the tears of the nation. You wanted to share a tear of compassion in that moment. Okay? You wanted to relate with him. So you force yourself to eat one of the hottest things on the planet that's not a pepper, and it forces you to cry. Like I had one of our seventh graders try it earlier, and it was awesome, because it comes in stages. First, you're like, that didn't taste good, and then it's, it's like a punch to the stomach. The second one is, uh, what's it called? Chorosis. Chorosis. It's this weird little mixture that I've got for him on the cracker. You can eat that one. It is apples, pears, grape juice, and walnuts. That's it. You're not allergic to nuts, are you? Okay. We're good. Okay. That that could have been bad. I could have killed him there. I didn't ask him that before. But mine actually is the wrong color because I didn't use red wine in mine uh, because I'm a Baptist. But uh, you're supposed to use red wine. It's supposed to resemble the bricks and the mortar of the Jewish people that when they were building the different things. Second one wasn't bad, was it? Yeah, you can go ahead and have a seat. Hey, everybody give him a hand real quick. He had no idea what that one was, you know. I told y'all my bread was good. I'm a baker. So, but that moment, it kind of represented the mortar and the bricks of the people. So you would take these and dip them into each other and you kind of worked your way through. But here's the most important part, okay? These two got added a certain time later, okay? You have a hard-boiled egg, a roasted egg, and you have the worst smelling bone in the planet. It's a lamb shank, okay? These two had specific symbolic purpose because earlier in the Passover meal, in the Passover celebration, the lamb shank would have meat on it. As you notice, mine was completely picked apart, and it's not because I got hungry. There's empty for a reason because no longer are the Jews allowed to make the sacrifice. You had the temple that was the center of their entire faith. It got destroyed in 70 AD. It was destroyed. No longer could they take their sacrifices before God. No longer could they atone for their sins. So out of mourning, they would take the meat off the bone. And the hard-boiled egg represented the temple. 
It's also very round. It doesn't really have points. It doesn't really have edges. It's very cyclical in nature, and it talks about the, the cycle that life can be sometimes. And this is the more depressing part of the, the meal. And the last one that goes with it is this mug right here, this goblet. This goblet represents Elijah. You, every single Passover table will have a goblet that's full of grape juice, in my occasion, but wine, and it will have wine in hopes that Elijah, who never actually died, he got taken up into heaven, that Elijah would one day come back and join the table because it's prophesied that Elijah would bring the Messiah, that he would bring the chosen one, the Christ who was to come. But here's the thing. He already came. The Christ already came. If you look at 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul actually talks about this. He, uh, he mentions this very vivid detail, actually. If I could turn to it. I've got these very thin pieces of paper. But 1 Corinthians 5, 7, he says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. It's a direct emphasis back to this. Take out the leaven, take out the yeast, take out the thing that makes your dough rise because it represented sin. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are really unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Christ is the eminence of the Passover lamb. He is the fulfillment of that Passover lamb. They always call Jesus the lamb of God. Jesus is represented in this. When the temple was destroyed, the Jews took it as they could no longer make their sacrifices. But here's the thing, the sacrifice had already been made. The sacrifice had already been made. And this whole entire festival was based around being freed from slavery. And the Jews, they achieved that, uh, that freedom. They achieved the freedom from that slavery physically. But they stayed locked on to the thing that was meant to set them free. The law was never meant to be chains to bind you. The law was meant to point you to the fact that you couldn't be good enough. You couldn't be perfect. And it was supposed to point you to the person that could be, that came to do all of that for you. When God came down in flesh, when Jesus came down and lived the life that we couldn't live, he was the fulfillment of that. Jesus came to fulfill every single prophecy I'm going to end with this last verse, or these last few verses. It's in Isaiah 53. It says in Isaiah 53, verse 4, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All like sheep we've gone astray. We have turned everyone his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that has led the slaughter. And like a sheep before his shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Jesus took that sacrifice for us. Jesus became that sacrifice. Every sin, every wrongdoing that we ever committed went on him that one day. That day when he walked before his accusers and allowed himself to be murdered, killed, beaten, and then he rose. The fulfillment of every Old Testament prophecy happened. Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ.
the entire thing that this Passover is celebrating. It's a prophecy looking forward to Jesus. If you look at the Haggadah, uh, which I left over there, but the Haggadah is the, is the book that leads you through this entire thing. It was made for the purpose of pointing you into Scripture so you could see the Messiah. You could see Jesus, the fulfillment of all of those things. Jesus is the good Adam. Jesus is the good elder brother. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is all of these things that we've been looking for and searching for. And the Jewish people missed it because they got so locked in on actions that they forgot to see the bigger picture. And that's happened to some of you guys today. Some of you have been living life focused on the deeds and the actions that happen all the time instead of looking to the person that can save you, that can truly set you free. We get so locked in on physical bondage that we forget the main thing in life, Jesus. And he gives us an opportunity to have that relationship, to build that relationship back to where it was truly intended to be. And I wanna give you guys an opportunity if you've never made that commitment, if you've never made that relationship, I want to give you that opportunity to do that today. So if everybody could just bow your heads and close your eyes. Some, are you, some of you are out there wanting to make that decision, wanting to make that commitment to Christ, to truly surrender your life. And it's a simple decision that makes a huge difference huge difference in life. All it takes is praying, a simple prayer, and it can be something like this. If you want to make that decision, you can pray along with me. The words in and of themselves don't save you, but if you truly believe it in your heart, if you truly make that commitment in your heart, God will change your life. But pray something like this. Father, thank you so much for all that you've done for me. Thank you for living that life that I couldn't live and dying that death that I couldn't and that I deserved. I pray that you would cleanse me, save me, change me into the person you want me to be. I submit myself to you and I want to start a relationship with you. Thank you so much for who you are. Amen. Amen.